Westlot Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well, um, I, I mean, same day, or different week, same story, no offense hey, whatsoever. Hey, NU women's basketball, they're back. Yeah. yeah. They're on fire. Amen. Uh, Great exhibition boy. tonight against what, Lewis? Lewis, yeah. And uh, yeah. the men's team had a a nice you know exhibition against, I don't even know who, what, Quincy was it? Quincy. Quincy. Yeah. We, yeah. we we beat Quincy even more convincingly than ten of their last eleven Division Two opponents did. <laughs> but hey, I mean, feel good about the W. And uh, regular season starts as we record this on um, Wednesday night. I believe the regular season starts either tomorrow or Friday. So uh, we get into actual men's basketball, and um, we'll have a lot to talk about with that, especially because there's really not a whole lot more to talk about about football. Um, but, you know, you know until, until we get into that, we should probably at least mention the fact that Indiana won 34-3. to um, no, Wait, wait, there was a game last weekend? Theoretically. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I, 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 one one team showed up. I'll say this. Scuzz said from midsummer on, that Indiana was going to be a good team. And they are absolutely a good team. This team's winning minimum eight games this year. Um, and they're just great. And this, you know, we talked about in the pod last week that this was a situation where we needed real change, real growth, and no small amount of luck to get in this game. And not only did we not get the growth and the change, Indiana got all of the luck. You're talking about a team that really had severe mismatches to play against us relative to their wide receiver core. And then both of our corners got hurt within what, like the first quarter? Um, it was early. It was, I mean, it was just brutal. I felt it was screaming at the screen, like, just give us a chance for the love of God. Well, and but, then, of course, the uh, the zebras didn't help either. I mean, it's really seemed like uh, Northwestern was on the wrong end of a lot of bad calls, especially... Uh, the non-call that led to Hunter Johnson's injury. Yeah, that was that was awful. And, I mean, but it was one more thing, and it was so horrible. I mean, it was just one of those things where we're all just, like, shouting at the sky at this point. Like, it was, was it a dirty play? I mean, I it certainly was late. It certainly was excessive, and there should have been a flag thrown. In terms of, like, did that necessarily have to cause Hunter Johnson, you know, an injury? This season, it's like, what can you say? It's like, it seems like everything that could possibly go wrong at any moment has gone wrong for us. Um, and and again, Indiana, great team. They can run the ball really well. I mean, it's it's a dynamic offense. And I mean, against the mess that we are on offense right now, they gave us nothing and they steamrolled us. Deserved to. Well, you you guys talked about it on the last pod, which I couldn't make it to, but the, the pivot, right? Like, is the midseason pivot? Control alt delete all that nonsense about you know we were shifting to a different caliber of team right like Indiana's good um, and, and yeah I've been I've been on that since since the summer um, there's a pretty interesting story about how their uh, their uh, long time well maybe he's he wasn't long time at Indiana but how their their offensive coordinator last year retired after a forty year career and they hired this brand new up and comer and he's really revitalized their offense. Um, 
Huh, just, bringing in an up-and-comer to revitalize yeah. an offense, you say. Yeah, uh, just par- park that somewhere for now. But, um, the you know, the, they, they've they've got a lot of talent. Uh, Tom Allen's been, do- been doing a good job. But let's be clear, this team is not on the same page as an Ohio State. Um, probably not as good, certainly defensively, not as good as an Iowa. And they made mincemeat of us. Um, and, yeah, the ref stuff didn't look good. I, I get, you know... This felt like a new low for for Northwestern for the season um, for the trajectory we're on. I you know we were t- we were texting during the game. I don't think we hit rock bottom yet, folks. Like buckle up, get <laughs> stock up on bourbon for the next couple weeks. But um, like I I just you guys talked about the injury to Hunter and and I think what stood out to me so much up until that point of that game was that you know it's the first game Hunter's played in in in, in over a month. Um, Yes, he did not. He did not look great, but like again, we continue to see the flashes and the athleticism and the arm strength and the arm talent that that he possesses. The scheme and the reps and seventeen other things are are a goddamn disaster. Um, and 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 I don't say this to to throw dirt on Aiden Smith, but Hunter is just a much more talented quarterback, and to see him out there and to see him doing things that that we haven't seen in the last few weeks and seemed like well all right maybe this game's not going to go right but we've got some trajectory here we've got we've got something to work with and then to have it all just slammed uh away from us into the turf um knocking him out of the game was was such uh, a a horrible emotional letdown in the middle of this game it was it was brutal and on the flip side you know defensively again this is a team that, what can you say, like our starting two cornerbacks who are incredibly athletic, who have had issues with pass coverage, were both playing on bum wheels early on in this game against a team that's very good at throwing the ball. Like, we told you, based on everything coming into this game, that Indiana was most likely going to get to 30 points. They ended up at 34 points. Now, Penix got hurt in this game, and Ramsey came in. Penix is out. Penix. Penix is out for the rest of the season, by the way. Yeah, um, really. But I hadn't, yeah, seen, I hadn't seen that. And and it's worth noting that he's been up and down, like injury wise, throughout the year. But but Ramsey has actually looked a lot better than he did last season. So I mean, Indiana is going to continue to be fine. Um, but that that was, I mean, that was certainly a story that that Penix went out and they didn't they didn't lose a beat. Right, and and but you know, it's like they they came in, but they there were certainly moments, like especially in the third quarter where their offense did slow down a little bit and we got some stops and it was just one of those moments where you're just waiting and you're being like, for the love of God, any spark here and we'd have a chance. But the, you know, the, the thing that jumped out to me and I know that, you know, and I agree with everything you said, um, uh, about Hunter and it's like, Lord knows, like, I think he's the best option, but he and Aiden Smith have the same problem right now, which is, in the moments where, for whatever reason, plays actually do get guys open and receivers are open, these guys are both spraying the ball. And you can see it, the frustration on, you know, Riley Lees. Um, Berkeley Holman, as young as he is, he I feel like his frustration is as visible as anybody. He has gotten the short end of the stick in a couple of games for whatever reason in terms of like balls being thrown past him. But there were a couple where he was open on crossing routes and wasn't hit. And it's really important. There, There's something that I want to get at here because we haven't really talked 
in a long time um, about, you know, the mess that was the start of the season, the mess that was the offseason, the juggling of the quarterbacks, etc. Um, because Hunter's been out for so long, and now, you know, we know not only with injuries, but with a really good reason relative to the family issue. Um, and Aiden has been the guy for a couple of games, so we've kind of gone away from that. And it's kind of easy to forget this, but then it really came back into the forefront of my mind um, when Fitz made comments in the press conference that he's made for a couple of weeks. Um, and it really, it's, you know, part of it is the way that he does it, which is just a really annoying way to present it. But it's like, boy, all you who like hated on Clayton Thorson, you know, like you're sure wishing you had a fourth year starting quarterback right now. That whole line of thinking, right? And that line of thinking is such a mess in multiple ways. Um, and it's it's one of the things that not only is that an incorrect line of thinking, going down that road helps explain a couple of the big problems we have right now. Because I know that a bunch of you um, and a bunch of the Northwestern fan base are saying, look, and being like, look, it ain't the plays. These guys just can't hit an open receiver to save their lives right now. And that's the root of the problem. I'm not saying you're wrong. But I'm saying, don't blame these guys for this. Um, And here's one way to go at this, okay? This fourth-year quarterback talk uh, about Clayton Thorson, Clayton Thorson was our starting quarterback for four years. One of those four years, in one, a single one of those four years, was he a part of an offense that was better than 87th in the country? And while we're going down this road, let me just say, that in Mick McCall's career as our offensive coordinator, he has had a senior quarterback running his offense five times, right? C.J. Bechet, Mike Kafka, Dan Persa, Trevor Simeon, and then Clayton Thorson, okay? Do you know what the average offensive finish of an offense with those five guys starting as seniors was? 80th. We had the 80th best offense in the country on average. And if your response to that is to say, yeah, but both Boucher and Kafka did not have a full four years with Mick McCall, my response is, you should understand that that 80th number is heavily weighted by Dan Purse's performance as a senior in 2011. When on a bum wheel, he completed 73% of his passes for 17 touchdowns and 7 interceptions, okay? You take that performance out, it's way worse than 80th, okay? And we've pointed out, Trevor Simeon being one of the biggest examples, that having multiple years under the Mick McCall system is not necessarily a good thing for a quarterback. (laughs) Okay? Oh, Um, boy. The play calling being one thing, but we used to talk for so often, right, about the fact that Simeon, Coulter would come in on first and second down, and then it would be third and eight, and Simeon would be brought in, like, for that play. Fed to the wolves. And just fed to the wolves. And what that does to a quarterback's psyche. I mean, I think to step out of Northwestern, right? um, It's funny, Derek Carr playing for the Raiders right now and playing good football. It's so easy to forget that he's the lesser Carr brother. 
and that there was an older Carr brother who was a god in college and almost no, number willed, one overall draft pick, you know, right? Willed Fresno State to the national almost to the national title game, uh, you know, tried to drafted number one overall and then got sacked so many times in his first two or three years in the league with the expansion Texans that he basically didn't function as a quarterback mentally from that point on. Um, the point I, being, I think I think Christian Hackenberg's another example. Oh yeah, where, for sure. Right, like, like Penn State couldn't protect him with their O line, and then didn't bother to protect him scheme wise. You had a you had a head coach who had a history of of running you know kind of mobile QBs, dual threat guys, or or at least you know Trace McSorley types. And uh, Christian Hackenberg was a statue, and the, I mean this guy was supposed to be uh, a top top pro prospect with with all the tools and. You know, after his sophomore year, I think he was done mentally. Right. And I think it's just the point being, right, the common thread being you can F up a quarterback's mind. And then, you know, you can break him. And then after that, you've got to put him back together. And and, what, and just just to weigh in real quick, like, yeah. we're, we're, we're not talking about, like, CTE or head injuries. Or no, anything, no, 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 no. We're yeah. just talking confidence right now. Exactly. Exactly. Confidence and, like, are you hearing footsteps? Are you, you know... Are you like not seeing checking? ghosts? Yes, yeah, seeing ghosts to quote Sam oh, Darnold. Really? <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. Yeah. So the and I think you look at the way like we said, the effect of Simeon and Coulter negatively to both of them being juggled. And then you look at the way the whole off season was handled, where you're doing nothing for Hunter Johnson's confidence, right? You're juggling him, you're going back and forth. Um and you're, you're, tr- you're publicly saying he's not good enough to be the the clear number one, right? And and honestly, the same kind of thing has happened with Aiden Smith. Um, you know, for all of us who've been wondering how come he's been not, you know, why has he been the third string quarterback, etc. And again, this isn't to throw shade at T.J. Green, but I think we all understand that T.J. Green um, had a hard ceiling on his potential because of lack of arm strength and inability to throw the ball deep. And I totally believe that at least at the start of the season, he probably was throwing a more accurate ball. And I think the receivers were probably conscious of that. Now, I think that would take us from like 130th in the nation in offense right now to maybe like 100th in the nation in offense. It wouldn't have gone any higher because defenses would have eventually realized we were just incapable of throwing a deep ball, and that would have been the end of that. Well, that's I, that's the critical point to me right there, that we we are running an offensive philosophy. And, 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 and to be fair, during the Thorson and Simeon years, and actually Simeon was probably the best at Like we saw a lot of, you know— 20 to 25 yard back shoulder throws during Simeon's time. Um, and, and nothing really longer than that. Yeah. The, the, the Thorson, you know, 20 to 40 yard, uh, 50, 50 ball to Skoranek, uh, has been a feature of the last couple seasons and, and I, you know, maybe showed up a couple times this year, but we, we seem to be running an offense that is designed to only attack the first five to seven yards after the line of scrimmage. And that's, that's a problem in today's college football world. It just it just doesn't work. And I well, so there's that, and then I think there's the whole thing. You know, I actually went back and and I looked at, um, you know, the year after we 
sign Clayton Thorson. There was really no chance of us signing any kind of quarterback. And I went back and I looked through all the names of the quarterbacks the year, you know, that year, and and was trying to think, were we ever in the mix for any of these guys? And we weren't. Um, And there was no way we were going to be because everyone knew we had this thoroughbred who was coming in, who was going to start as a freshman, and you're not going to get any big-time quarterback coming in knowing he's going to have to sit for like three-plus years. And then you look at the year after that, and we basically, it was basically the same thing. We still had no bites at quarterback. We signed Lloyd Yates, who never played a down of quarterback and got a scholarship. And again, that's a whole other thing. And, you know, I think there was the feeling we have to give a scholarship to one quarterback. He's a Chicago guy. There's value to developing Chicago pipelines. Okay, fine. Um, that was also the TJ Green year. So that's, you know, you picked up a quarterback as a walk-on. The next year was Aiden Smith. And when you look at the actual numbers and the presentation and everything, it's really important for people to understand he was getting Aiden Smith was a really big deal. It was Deuce Wallace and then Deuce Wallace decommitted. And then we got Aiden Smith and Aiden Smith was even more highly rated than Deuce Wallace. And that was getting him was a big deal. And then you wonder, you're like, okay, so, but then... This guy, you never see him elevate. There's not this natural progression to the starting, you know, to the to the starting place of, you know, up the depth chart of a guy who was a really big get to us. And then you see it happen again with Hunter. And you can't help thinking, you know, what is the fact that, that these guys are being juggled? There's all these oars on the depth chart. There's not this clear progression of, okay, it's your time now. Um and now you just seeing these guys, and I still feel like I don't see confidence out of either Smith or Johnson, and that both of them are still like feels like they're trying to find their way here. And I'm just kind of like I can't help think that it, it's it's one more thing. I know this has been like a, a big a big tangent, you know, going off on a big thing, but it just feels like these quarterbacks are not being supported and they're clearly not being put in a situation that builds their confidence. So if you're looking at these quarterbacks right now and you're like, these guys can't hit open receivers, understand that a lot of that is not their fault. It's just one more problem and one more thing we do wrong on that side of the ball. Well, and I think I think ultimately, in college especially, it goes back to the coaching staff. Because they are responsible for not only the vetting of these guys as recruits, yes, but yes. the recruiting of them and then their development. And the thing I, I think I tweeted this during the game, um, or maybe after the game last Saturday, but like Aiden, so Aiden Smith won a seven on seven national championship. Like that implies some ability to throw an accurate football. <laughs> and and if you think Mike Leach would be unable to score a touchdown in four games with Aiden Smith as his quarterback. You're effing crazy. Like, like the, the picture we're painting here is that our offense is in a caveman state. And it, and it's because we are not surfacing new ideas. We've, we've not been pushing the envelope. We've been allowing the same system and the same deficiencies to fester and grow for six years now. And, you know, you, you hear Fitz in the postgame or pretty much any time, you know, that there's been a problem. It's like, we got to coach him up better. So he's just straight up saying it's a coaching issue. Right. Well, I mean, 
Yeah, but hey, except for the times where he gets all bra- you know uh, bravado-y and um, angsty and whatever. But but I like I, those are those are the times where I at least, at least feel like he's being honest and saying and taking some responsibility, which is true. But like, God damn it, Fitz, do something about it. Yeah, it's like he, he says it to take you know so that people are not coming down on the kids because you know you, you just can't do that. It's like these are. 18 to 22 year old kids who are just trying as hard as they can to play as well as they can. And, you know, it, it fits trying to deflect to himself and to the coaching staff. Okay. So you talk about accountability. Where has that been? Well, and that's the thing too. Like, I don't want to make it sound like I'm just giving Smith and Johnson a free pass for missing receivers. Like, I'm not like, it's not like I'm going down the same boat and being like, look, these kids can do no wrong. It's just like the the point it's 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 just that this there's a clear track record for this. And Scuzz, to your point earlier about like, you know, Mike Leach, it's funny, two of the three so Garrick McGee, the coordinator who immediately preceded McCall, never got to work with a senior quarterback. Um but the two quarter the two coordinators who preceded him did. Kevin Wilson and Mike Dunbar. Um and it's funny, Kevin Wilson his his last year with the program was, you know, the year that we don't remember fondly, because our senior year when the team yep. had such high presentation, such high expectations, and then kind of went downhill. Hmm, but it's important. Heard that before? But it's important to remember that that season we produced the thirty eighth best offense in the country with Zach Kustak at quarterback with. Everything that had happened, you know, the off the field, you know, the horror of the whole off the field situation and what that did to the program. And then like just that whole mess. Um, By the way, Zach Kustak, a guy that did not have a really strong arm. Right. Yeah. Good point. Um, Still scheme, folks. Still, still that offense better than any Mick McCall offense and better than all of his offenses, but one by a mile. And then Mike Dunbar had Brett Bazinet as a senior and produced the number 28 offense in the country. Oh, the bad. best, The best Northwestern offense post-Big Ten Championship by far that Northwestern has produced, the 2005 uh, offense. Oh, five, yeah. Well, yeah. So, so, so here's another just interesting wrinkle, and you can call this, like, nonsense or whatever if you want. We, we've not really talked about it, but... It's the it's the Northwestern curse of expectations. So you just referenced two of what I would call maybe like the four or five like horrific Northwestern seasons that have pre- that have followed a breakthrough season. So 2000, we win a share of the Big Ten championship. 2001, just the wheels fall off in so I mean, many different ways. Go back even further. Uh, 95 Rose Bowl, 96 uh, Citrus Bowl, 97. Yep, Dwayne Bates breaks his leg against uh, Oklahoma, the first mm-hmm. game of the year. By the way, a, a game in which Northwestern beat Oklahoma, what, 35 to nothing? I believe so, yeah. That was one of the yeah. few highlights of that season. Oh, my yeah. goodness. And then just, yeah, the wheel the wheels come off. Um, <laughs> the following year, Gavin Hoffman, the, the phenom from Minneapolis. Oh, anyway, sorry, we don't need Nick to be poetic about that. Yeah, Nick Kreinbrink. <laughs> Anyways, um, but yeah, so, so 97. 2001, uh, when Northwestern started the year ranked, was predicted was by many to win the Big Ten again um, because of some all, all the firepower we have coming back. Of course, there was the, the, the tragedy with Rashidi Wheeler. Um, Damian Anderson was injured. There were you know other other factors. T- teams kind of figured us out on defense, et cetera, et cetera. 
um, 2000, uh, 2003 was maybe a little bit of a breakthrough. Um, and then we made a bowl game again. The defense was really, really good. And then in 04, we kind of fell off, but, but, but Oh five was the next kind of big moment, right? Um, that, that pr- prolific offense, uh, Tyrell Sutton and coming off of that year, of course, the tragedy, uh, Randy Walker passing away. And then Oh six was just, you know, a, a, a total train wreck. Fast, fast forward, 2012, finally win a bowl game for the first time in, in 60 years, 60 plus years. And then 2013, the complete and utter collapse, very, very, very similar to 2001, frankly, um, and Ohio State loss being the pivot. Uh, I think you, th- you can then also look at uh, 2015, you know, so we go through 2013, 2014, these two horrible years where at, at the end of, by the way, like, Jim Phillips kind of says very publicly um, in an interview with Teddy Greenstein uh, that if 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 we don't make a bowl next year, like changes have to be made. And then in 2015, they win 10 games, um, go 10 and two overall, right in the regular season. Clayton Thorson and uh, Justin Jackson, et cetera, et cetera. 2016 off of that again, a bit of a fall off, right? So like Northwestern just has this pattern of coming into a season with expectations coming off of, of a breakthrough season. You can throw in the NCAA tournament uh, in on the basketball team from, from three years back now. Right. Sure. And, yeah. and just falling on their face the following year. And we are absolutely falling on our face in, in 2019. And, and like, do I think that there's something wrong with the mentality of the players or how hard they're trying or anything like that? Like, no, like absolutely not. Like this team is hungry. This defense is hungry. Like look at Joe Gaziano, look at Patty Fisher, I mean, like the offense, like the guys are working hard. Look at what the O-line is doing. They're opening like giant holes. But, um, but I don't know, there's just, there's like a weird, you know, Northwestern just gets shitty luck the year after they do something really good. <laughs> yeah. Although, you know, it's so funny, like the year that you're referencing, the, the year where you're like, the, you have the, the mess right of 2014, 2015, or was it 2013, 2014, when that like ultimatum you're referring to was yep. issued, right? Um the year after that, we had like a very bad offense, but the horrible, defense, but horrible, the de- but the defense was good, and we won a bunch of games. Um, and it's Anthony, like Anthony Walker. Oh um, yeah, it's there's so there's one thing because we're gonna pivot in a place because we haven't even mentioned this yet, but it seems like so much of Northwestern Nation and like those of us who like write and talk about Northwestern football have kind of made the same mental pivot at the same time, and we're gonna get there in a second. Um, but a, a couple things that I wanted to talk about is one, as long as we're you know rewinding and going back in time a little bit, I think it's really important. And because you kind of you mentioned this period of time with what you were just talking about a second ago, but it's important to go back to the year that McCall and Hankwitz were both hired way back in two thousand eight, and kind of what was going on um, at that time, and. It's funny, you know, people forget that, you know, we and I think we've even been guilty of the fact that Northwestern doesn't fire people. Well, Northwestern, and not only Northwestern, but Fitz did fire our defensive coordinator at the end of the 2007 season, Greg Colby. Greg Greg Colby uh, and the Swiss cheese defense, as I believe the message boards used to refer to it. Right. Um, And I think it's it's really important to kind of put our minds, try to put our, ourselves in Fitz's position at that time. Because through his first two years, and granted, he would have been given plenty of rope here. Um, his job was certainly not in jeopardy in any way. 
Um, the circumstances he inherited, of course, he was everyone's pick for head coach. It was a horrible situation to have to get into, but the team had not had much success and the defense was really a mess. Um, and the offense was not much better. And it was, you know, it was post Brett Bazinay. There was total flux at quarterback and, and things were just kind of a mess. And McGee left of his own volition um, and Fitz let Colby go. And I stumbled upon this past week an article written by, and I thought this was pretty funny, erstwhile Arlington Heights Daily Herald writer Adam Rittenberg, uh, who, <laughs> let's just say, moved on to greener pastures. Congratulations, Adam. Um, but talking about at the time that one of the things that was clear was that basically Jerry Brown accepted not only was Fitz young, the staff was really young. And... You know, I don't think he'd ever admit it, but I think there was certainly a a feeling, you know, to look for, you know, some more experienced presence in kind of terms of the kinds of guys who were brought in. And I think that certainly, amongst other factors, played into McCall getting the job. I think it partially played into Hankowitz getting the job. I also think, and we talked about this earlier this week off the pod, that getting Hankowitz was basically just highway robbery. Um, and, and and luck. It was yeah, dumb total, luck as well. Right. Dumb luck. Dumb luck and, and, and highway robbery. This guy, not only has he been phenomenal his entire time at Northwestern, um, and, and really phenomenal. Don't sell the guy short in any way. He was good at Wisconsin. And the year before, they had had a great defense. And then they graduated a ton of their top players and started the season really poorly on defense the following year. And in the back half of the season, they still, they kind of pulled it together. And then Bielema, and you brought this up, Scuzz, because he was after, um, who was it? Um, so, so, so Dave Doran was the linebackers coach, I believe, at Wisconsin. And he was this hot, young up-and-comer. And Fitz reached out to Wisconsin to ask if he could talk to Dave Doran. And... Wisconsin, like the the article I remember reading kind of positioned it as Wisconsin had this kind of like, oh, God, uh, um, no, you you can't talk to him kind of response and then said, but um, feel free to talk to Mike Hankowitz and very quickly elevated Doran to D.C. because they they didn't want to lose him. They thought he was this, you know, great, great up and comer and basically allowed Fitz to hire Mick McCall or I mean, uh, Mike Hankowitz away from them. Dave Doran continued to do good things at Wisconsin for like another, what year and a half before he left to become head coach right. in Northern yeah. Illinois. And then I mean, NC stayed after that. It was, it was Manhattan for some people. Oh I God. mean, it was, it was, and again, so it's like, yes, Hankowitz was an old and respected coach even back then. I mean, not old, but a, you know, seasoned and respected coach even back then. He's also just an awesome coach who, like, if the guy would have been 20, you still should have hired him. Um, it's, like, here's the easiest way to sum this one up. Uh, the very best Mick McCall offense, the 2012 offense, was the 42nd best offense in the country. The average Mike Hankowitz Northwestern defense since 2008 is the 43rd best defense in the country. And that is weighted by... Three of his first four years were a lower-rated offense than that when he was kind of rounding things into place. Um, and since then, of course, the offenses are really—it's it's routinely a top-30 unit. And 
Um, so, but with all this to say, right, two older veteran coaches are brought in. Yep. And at that moment, things pivot. The team gets success. We start, right, bowl games immediately come. And regardless of what's going on on the offensive side of the ball, bowl trips start. And really, from 2008 to 2012, the program as a whole improves. And it culminates in 2012, basically the best, honestly, the best post-Rose Bowl team. I mean, that's a team that went 10-3 and and lost three games by a whisker. That team could have been undefeated, and what and was won that? the first the the five minutes and three seconds away from being undefeated. Yeah, right. Yep. And 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 with Mississippi, that Michigan game still just right. kills me. And that's the only year um, that we fielded really of the entire this entire era that Northwestern fielded a great offense and a great defense. But you know, uh, wait, pour, pour pour one out for King Coulter right now. Well, oh, yeah. but here's here's the even bigger thing. Pour one out for Venrick Mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the last All-American Northwestern had was, well, that's not true. Um, the last running back All-American that Northwestern had um, was Venrick Mark. And that was a monster year for him. And he was a massive bell cow for the offense on the ground. And it made a lot of things go. And then ask yourself, I encourage you to go back and look at the stats for Venrick Mark the year before that and the stats for Venrick Mark the year before that. This was something that basically Mick McCall, I won't say lucked into, but it is rare that you find a player who has that kind of season and basically has minimal statistical contribution the previous two years, despite basically the fan base screaming for that to happen. Um, And I bring all of this up because if you take that year out, the Venrick Mark year, Mick McCall's never coached a top 50 defense. Never. Offense. 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 Never coached a top 50 unit. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I didn't didn't remember this about Mick McCall, that um, his probably closest connection to Northwestern before he came here was coaching against us in the 2003 Motor City Bowl. Um, when he was, uh, was he OC or I think he was quarterbacks coach for Bowling Green under Urban Meyer mm. or just, no, no, no. just after Urban Meyer. He, no, they, they no, just no, missed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. It was the year, the year after Urban Meyer. Ur- mm-hmm. Urban left there in 2002. So it was the year after that's right. Um, but, uh, that, I mean, if, if anybody remembers like Bowling Green kicked the crap out of us in that, in that bowl game, it was rough. Um, but I, John, your point about us bringing in these, these older, more established coordinators to, to help fits, um, is, is, is totally spot on. And, and, I, and think, I think he feels indebted. Well, I, I think he, I think he feels indebted. And the, the other thing is, is that Fitz is a defensive guy. I think, you know, Fitz had a, had a real vision and picture of what he wanted Northwestern to be when he got here. And it was not going to continue in the all offense, no defense mode, because that's not who Fitzgerald is. And I think he immediately wanted to start building a team in the image of, you know, his coaches teams at Northwestern and Gary Barnett with really hard nosed defense, um, 
ball control running game on the offensive side. Grind it and, out, low scoring, you know, keep it yep. close. And and that that is what we have seen for the majority of the Fitz era. Like like once they started to get the players on defense to to really start creating that unit, you know, in 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 twenty twenty twelve was probably the first time we really saw that all gel. Um, that's that's what this team has been, and I, I there are two problems with this. So so one is that college football has changed dramatically, and you look at the Alabamas and the LSUs of the world that are lighting the world on fire with with offense because that's where the game is going. So this mentality like is is problematic to begin with, but um, but the other thing is I I think he because he's a defensive guy because he was such a heralded defensive player because he was such an obvious choice for head coach because he was expected to come in and turn around the defense at Northwestern. Um, for, first, I I I think that the expectation was that he was going to become defensive coordinator, um, and then gradually grow into the head coach role and, and you know Randy Walker was going to retire and Fitz was going to take over and they I think Fitz has talked about that they had a 10-year a plan or a five-year plan and then it became you know obviously became the, the, the zero-year plan um, but he was always going to be more comfortable letting go of Greg Colby because of his pedigree and who he was and how where he felt comfortable yeah that's offense, fair. offense isn't his thing and and I think you're right John he feels indebted to McCall um, they've, they've been at this game for a long time. They've won a lot of games. And it is really important to mention that as frustrated as we have personally been with the aesthetic of the offense for like the life of this podcast and this program with and, one and exception. well beyond, I mean, uh, yeah. And it's, and it's the year that you mentioned, John, 2012, we were, we were off our rocker excited that year, but, but like they've won a ton of games. Like this approach has worked in many, many ways. Um, and it could continue to work down the road, but God, this team would be so much better if we brought in some new ideas and we tried some new things and we did something different on offense. And I, and I, 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 I get it. I manage people. Thankfully I haven't had to, to do something like this. You know, I, I don't, I don't get paid like a college football coach. Uh, let's be clear. But um, like, this is a hard thing for Fitz. I, and, and I can see why it's a hard thing for him and why he is so, you know, adverse to to letting McCall go and why he has been so defensive of of his coaching staff he sees the 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 continuity in his staff as something that he can recruit to and that that's you know aids him on on the recruiting trail etc so like I I just I think it's worth pointing out all that stuff right that like this program hasn't been a disaster for the last 10 years um you know the the offense has been crap by every every measure (laughs) right like um but there's there's some real reasons as to as to why this is hard, and I get it. Now that being said, like this this, ha, this has to be the year. I mean, well, that's well, that's but, yeah. That's we're getting two, maybe three in giving, wins in providing in providing the pivot to where we're going to go right now. Let me just say, actually, John, John, real quick. Let me let me play devil's advocate here for just a second. Um, you know, we we talked about all of these these blips, all of these down you know downtimes after. You know, a great season. You know, you come off a, a stellar season and you know have have a rough year. Wouldn't it be so classic if you know we that we hung our hat on that because after that bad year or two, it was back where we were back to winning. I that just uh, popped into my head. So, so, I, oh, I just want to. Sh- so here's so so here's my counter. Here's my counter is that we won the Big Ten West last year. 
and we've been striving for that for you know since since, since maybe not right away when they split legends and leaders but but very quickly thereafter you know northwestern was in that that period of time they were going to bowl games every year they're going to to decent bowl games not like motor city bowl we were knocking on the door of 10 wins like that was the thing that that we the expectation was that we we finally get over that wisconsin hump that iowa hump and you know win our side of the division and, and and go forward in the big 10 championship game and and we're all realists right like Northwestern is not going to compete for a national title year in, year out. It's it's just not in the cards. We're not going to compete for a Big Ten championship year in and year out. But should that should that be a plausible thing regularly when we've got the right mix of, of senior leadership and talent on the team? Absolutely. And and I think I think that equation has changed and that the the Northwestern we have seen for the last six years is is an untenable and an unsustainable model for being competitive in the Big Ten going forward. I just I just don't think it's viable. Like we could continue to like, you know, limp on as a team that, you know, gets six or seven wins and then maybe gets nine wins in a year, but it just it's not it's not where this team expects it's not where the fan base wants this team to go. It's not where the university and the money and the facilities and the, the ramp up of of sports assets are like pointed like th- like this is not what they built the lakefront facility for right it's 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 not what they want to do with Ryan Field like like a, a change has to be made because at at this point it I think it's, it's only going to go down from here like it, like it's so stagnant well, statistically, it can't go down from here. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, We're at the but, but let, let me just say, it basically, here's everything you just said distilled into one unbelievable stat that I, I mean, it breaks my brain. We've talked multiple times on this pod about this 2012 season and how dominant that team was. Since that season, uh, this again breaks my brain. Since that season, a period of seven years, seven seasons, if you include this season, okay, when many Northwestern players were not even in high school yet, a period stretching six, a solid six and a half, but we'll call it seven seasons, Northwestern's offensive rank, average offensive rank over a seven year period. I, like I encourage you to sit down. Ninety sixth, we have had on average the ninety sixth best offense for the past seven years. I mean, there's identity. Fine, build a defense first, uh, but let's field an offense. Um, and yes, it is time. It's going to be time. This is going to happen. And and that's why to 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 go with what we've been alluding to, we like so many other Northwestern people have are you know started to turn the page and been like okay, not how but who, who well, is it I, going to be? One tiny last little thing. It's just the only reason for that that stat that you just mentioned, John. It's stubbornness. At this point, it's just plain damn stubbornness. Yep. So, John, you you mentioned that you know we. You know, I, and the three of us have been talking. We've been talking with our, our friends Chris and Gary over at Winning Cures Everything, just kind of batting some uh, potential names around. 
Um, the guys over at Inside and You uh, put out a, an article uh, w- with some possible names as uh, guys who could potentially come in here to uh, take over the offense. Um, interested to kind of have a, a l- quick little conversation. Um, you know what and what criteria do you think that we're looking for in the next offensive coordinator? Like what 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 do we need? What will work best for Northwestern? So I have some thoughts on this. I, I, there are, I don't want to besmirch anybody else's approach to this, but um, there is a, what what I believe just kind of like a false, a false tenant that people are spouting that our, our next offensive coordinator needs to have some sort of um, high academic experience. I, I think that's nonsense. Um. Kurt Anderson, to my knowledge, doesn't seem to have any high academic experience. Um, he seems to be recruiting just fine to Northwestern. Um, I, you know, you have someone like Fitz who's established and successful and well-regarded um, leading this program. There's there's no reason why your offensive coordinator would have to be a mirror image of him. I think, um, I think that's a really myopic approach. Uh, I really hope that that's not the approach that Northwestern would take. But but for for me, I think what is important is that. You know, we, we just talked a bit about the, the philosophy of, of Fitzgerald as, as we see it. He he is not going to overnight become an air raid guy. That's just not, it's not his comfort level. Um, we're, we're not going to go hire the next Sonny Dykes or the next um, Sean McVay or the next Mike Leach. Like, it's just not going to happen. Um, so we shouldn't I, I, be holding our breath for Kendall Bryles to be walking through the door? Oh, dude! Uh, if we if we hire a Bryles, um, nothing's worth that. Come on, I will struggle to root for Northwestern football. <laughs> Let's yeah. just be clear. Um, so, but I th- I think there are a lot of up and coming head head coaches that are doing a lot of th- cool things with RPOs, with balanced you know running passing attacks, um, modified spreads, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I I think that is the wheelhouse. I think it's something that is is palatable enough to Fitz and. He, he wants a strong running component going to a full chuck it around Texas tech or Washington state style is just not in the cards. So I think it's somebody who's got to have, um, who's got to have that. I personally believe, I think the regional component is more important. Not, a, not, not for Northwestern, but for the coach themselves. I think the regional component is more important than the high academic um, piece. And so, so people that have either come from a big 10 state or have worked at a Big Ten school, or played at a Big Ten school like that. That to me feels um, feels good. I don't know that it's critical, uh, but 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 then the the other thing that's really important from my perspective is some sort of Power Five uh, experience and pedigree. I mean, we, we're not going to go steal Auburn's offensive coordinator or LSU's offensive coordinator. Like that's nonsense. But somebody who has. Um, been a quarterbacks coach or a passing game coordinator or, or has had some sort of exposure um, in the power five to me, like feels like something that, that would be important. Um, if not power five, certainly at least an offensive coordinator in FBS right now, I, I struggle going to an F- FCS school right now and just, just picking somebody out who has not operated at the D one level. Yeah, I think, 
you know, the Inside NU article, which is funny, like it just, the article came out and we were laughing just because we've been talking about all the same things. And it's like, everyone's, everyone's like, all right, time to start putting together a list of names. We all arrived at that point together, but um, they were kind of Ivy League heavy, um, including Princeton's head coach, Bob Serace, who, um, again, to me, it's like the, you're talking about a very successful head coach at the Ivy League level at a program that Ivy League accepted is, that's a high profile program. Um, If he goes to, to the FBS, it's going to be as a head coach. Um, you know, Buddy Tevens, who is back at Dartmouth after, you know, having been at Tulane, leaving from Dartmouth, um, would be a good example of, you know, a guy who parlayed Ivy League success into a head coaching job um, F- at the FBS level. Um, it's interesting. Some of the things you talked about, Skaz, I totally agree. And I think it's you know, when you look at a lot of the names, it's it's sort of one of those things where it shows that there are very few candidates who check every box that you would like them to check. And some of the ones who do immediately it moves to, we're probably not going to get these guys. Now, a, a couple of the top guys on my list um, fall into that category. The one who doesn't, who is at the top of all of our lists, who is, you know, very likely a pipe dream is Mike Kafka, right? I mean, it's it's so obvious to everybody, I mean, it checks absolutely every box. The big thing is Mike Kafka is firmly nestled under the Andy Reid coaching tree right now and has a long and profitable NFL career ahead of him. Um, he's gonna he's on, you know, short lists for offensive coordinator. Yeah, um, if, if Kafka's not an OC next year, he will be the year after in the NFL. Yeah. Right. And, and, exactly. and, he, and, he do, and he does not need to come to Northwestern to boost his Right profile. I mean, if if anything, I think it could hurt him more yeah. than help him. Right. I mean, he'd be coming out of the goodness of his heart. And honestly, like <clears throat> he's a guy that if he was hired as a head coach of a non-power five college right now, most people wouldn't bat an eyelash. I mean, look at some of the NFL coaching hires that were made, um, and just think, you know, the fact that he, everyone would just be like. Oh yeah, he was the Kansas City Chiefs quarterback coach. Of course, yeah, that makes sense. Like that's well, well, and if you're Kafka, like you get to work every day with Pat Mahomes right now, right? The guy, like right. there's you don't you don't want to leave that. And then and then what what he's done over the last couple of weeks? I mean, he he somehow helped Matt Moore beat my Minnesota Vikings over the this past weekend, which I I, I still don't understand how that happened, right? Um, but like he's like his his stock is so high and there's just there's no chance that he's coming back to college. Um, right. But but so that being said, I took so I took a stab at at kind of a broad list. And I've got some I've got some names in here that, that I know that that you've been talking about, John. I've got I've got a couple of names from the inside and you list. Uh, I've got a couple of names that are just here for kind of entertainment value. But um, this is. I went. I went back to Bruce Feldman every year at the beginning of the year. He puts together a list of like up and coming coaches, guys to to keep your eye on. I think he had forty different coaches, and so I mostly focused on OCs or QB coaches at um, lower tier FBS schools that I thought Northwestern would have a chance to get, just from like guys looking for a stepping stone um, to get up to the next the next level. This is certainly not an exhaustive list by any stretch, but there's some interesting names on here. I don't, you guys, you guys up for walking through this? Yeah, let's do absolutely. It. Let's do it. So let's start with another name that, that we talked about on a couple, couple podcasts ago, John, I know this guy's on your list and that's Matt Canada. Um, 
Wisconsin, LSU, uh, Indiana. He's at the top of my, he probably says no, but you definitely make the call. We, we, we talked with, uh, with Chris and Gary from winning cures, anything like that. This guy's like on a beach in North Carolina right now. He's not doing anything. Um, after the, the debacle at Maryland. Um, it, so pros proven power five coach. Um, I think he likely fits the, the fits philosophy, especially, you know, he was at Wisconsin. He was at LSU. Now, now granted, he didn't exactly revolutionize either of those offenses. Um, he was there when Russell Wilson was there. So, you know, he, he benefited in some ways from, from personnel, but he's also an Indiana native. He's got big 10 experience. Like that seems to fit a lot of the bells and whistles that this guy wants to be a head coach though. I, I, I think similar to Kafka, like the Northwestern job is not the job he's looking for. And, and I don't say that like in a, Oh, he's going to come and leave after a year, which frankly at this stage I'd be fine with. I think, I think really what it means is he's just going to be like, nah, that's not what I want right now. Yeah. I think my counterpoint to that is and again I totally agree with everything you said is that this guy coached the top 10 offense um, a team we beat but a team that beat Clemson um, with a top 10 offense in the country in Pitt a couple years ago and that got him the LSU job and then in a span of two years things really could not have gone more horribly for Matt Canada and not even really so much from a performance perspective things did not go well for him at LSU but it became really clear really quickly that he was not a fit within the coaching staff. And Orgeron and he did not get along at all. And Orgeron really kind of threw him under the bus publicly um, in like SEC media days. And he went from there to Maryland before the roof caved in on that program. Um he had as miserable a two years after leaving Pitt as you possibly could have. And yeah, he applied, you know, we talked, he applied to multiple head coaching jobs. Rumor has it, the OC job at Tennessee. But it kind of, like, to me, it kind of feels a little bit like he was like, look, if someone wants to me, give me a head coaching job, fine. Otherwise, I need to unplug for a year. So if you're looking for a narrative where he's like, all right, I'm ready to re-enter college football, you could do a lot worse than a guy who's proven that he will give his offensive coordinator as long a leash as you could possibly ask for um, and just give you freedom to work at the most stable program in the country in terms of what we do academically, what we do for kids, etc. So that would be the pitch. Now, again, yeah, I mean, this guy want, you know has been a head coach, wants to, you know, at least on an interim basis, um, wants to be a head coach, but you never know. Um, and, you know, from a resume standpoint, you couldn't do much better. So the next guy on my list is Bob Stitt, offensive coordinator at Texas State. So uh, pros around this dude, he's considered just one of one of the most creative minds in college football. Um, he spent a lot of time at Montana. He was the, the offensive coordinator in 1999 at Harvard, which was a which was a really great Harvard team. Um, I believe Matt Burke was on that team. Uh, he spent a year at Oklahoma State underneath Mike Gundy. He was. He was at the Colorado School of Mines. We'll come back to that in a minute. Um, again, just super creative mind. I, the, the cons here, though, um, so he's an air raid guy. I, I, I just don't think it's a fits uh, a, a fit with fits. He's a Nebraska a, a, a native, which fit. just yeah, fits fit. Um, he's a Nebraska native, which just like ew. Um, and then the fact that he worked in he was at Northern Colorado and then Colorado School of Mines, and that just it gives me too many like 
McCall vibes because he came from Colorado as well. So, so like I'm out. On, I'm out on Bob Stitt. Okay, if if you're out on everything Colorado, I'm gonna take umbrage here for a second. Hey. <laughs> um, now, I mean, Colorado of- School of Mines has been. I mean, that that's a tiny little school in Golden, Colorado, just uh, outside of Denver, and they've been doing really really interesting stuff uh, down in. Um, I, are they F, FCS or are they even D two? I mean, they're they're, they're a small they're little lower. program, yeah. yeah. But they're like they've been doing some really interesting stuff offensively, and I don't, I don't know if it's a terrible idea to to think about that. No, and I I mean, and I totally get what Scuzz like. I would subscribe to Air Raid in a second. I anything new, I'm up for. I'll, I'll take nothing <laughs> off the table. But I totally believe that 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 might be too much of a departure for. Um, Pat for Fitzgerald. Um, I'll just just to juxtapose, um, not to go a little back and forth, but just to to, to juxtapose this with you know some of the the guys because you're you know you got some good deep cuts on here. I'll take a more modern you know a more major one. Another guy from let's say the Canada school of. I don't think he'd take it, but you definitely ask, and that's Warren Ruggiero at Wake Forest. Um, he checks. Every single box, the negative is that it's a lateral move for him, and he has ties to the Wake Forest program. I think he's a Wake Forest grad, um, connections to you know the Wake Forest head coach. This is a guy who's putting up unbelievable offenses. He currently, I think, Wake has a top 15 offense in the country. Last year, they had a good offense. He's young. He's also the quarterback coach, so you solve that problem, too. Um, again, because, you know, that's McCall's role. So if you're looking to replace both, you can replace both also. And as an aside, Scuzz mentioned it earlier, like it's certainly not imperative, but a guy from Wake Forest, a program of, you know, in some ways, roughly similar standing, although, you know, their standards relative to athletes are not our standards relative to athletes, but still, um, on paper, it's a smoother transition. Uh, again, well, and, well, and just to dovetail on that point, like, I, I think it's less about the the academic component to that and more just like Wake Forest, not an easy place to recruit to. Right. So that right, exactly. So it's like that part works better. And right, it's like we don't care. It's not an impediment. Like we're looking for like guys who have great football minds and that should be independent of the school. But this guy happens to have one and he happens to go to write a school, like you said, with a relatively similar recruiting profile. So again, it's like offer him a big bag of cash to make a lateral move to a place where there's a great defense in place. And, and the, that, that would be the call. And then you're selling him on a chance to play for, I mean, realistically as good as wake is, they're not going to be contending for ACC championships. And you could say, look, we played in the championship game last year. I mean, that's the pitch. So anyway, that would be another likely to say no guy, as opposed to like up and comer deep cut kind of guy. Yeah. So, so, so the rest of the guys on my list are, 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 Really all up-and-comer, pretty deep-cut guys. Um, the last two, you know, uh, some fans on the pod have actually have actually named a couple of these names for us in the past. But So my, the next guys on my list are, are, the, are the co-offensive coordinators at Memphis. So Ryan Silverfield, um, I think he's officially like co-OC, like co-OC, but like a little bit more of the dominant. He's also deputy head coach at Memphis, whatever the hell that means. Um, run-oriented guy, seen as a strong mind, O-line uh, connections, etc., he also is probably next in line to get the head coaching job there if Jay Norvell leaves. Um, very well might get head coaching offer, offers elsewhere. His co-offensive coordinator at Memphis, Kevin Johns. Yes. 
former wide receiver coach at Northwestern, a guy that we bemoaned his departure um, when we essentially traded him for um, uh, for Coach Springer from from IU. Uh, I kind of think like like when John's left, there was kind of this undercurrent undercurrent of like Fitz isn't paying me enough money and I can't afford to live in Chicago, so I'm kind of out. And I I don't think it would ever happen that they would get back together, but. Um, but I don't know. Memphis's offense looks awesome, and Johns knows Northwestern really, really well, and was, for my money, like one of the best wide receiver coaches we've we've ever had. So I think for I think for me, all things being equal, I think he's he's my number two choice for all the factors you mentioned in terms of likelihood. And I you would hope that he could bury that aspect of it uh, that you're talking about because he's a fit in so many other ways. So uh, Tommy Rees, uh, name came from, that came from the Inside NU one. Um, so I guess the pros, he's got familiarity with the program. He's a grad assistant here. Uh, I guess he's got past NU connections through his family, the Notre Dame um, connection, pedigree, yada, yada, yada. He's got some pro experience. I guess he worked with the Chargers for a year. I think the offense that he ran at Notre Dame and what he's been exposed to from a coaching perspective is probably a pretty good fit for NU's philosophy and Fitzgerald. Here's my struggle with him. So, like, like these guys are all, like, young up-and-coming coaches, but, like, Rees is super young. And, you know, we talked earlier about how Fitzgerald is a defensive guy and maybe defers to McCall a little too much. I, I, I think you need somebody who can stand on their own next to Fitzgerald and take the heat and push back on him. I don't think Rees would be able to do that. Yeah, I— to me, this one actually makes a lot of sense. I just still to this day have throw up in my mouth a little bit when I say Tommy Reese. <laughs> um, Reese so, Re- was um, when, when was he? He was an assistant here at what twenty fifteen, right? No, I think it was no, it was more it was, recent than that. It no, was seventeen. Let's see, twenty fifteen. So, no, he uh, joined as an offensive grad assistant. Oh, um, there you go. And it then, was 2015. 2015, wow. and then he went and joined the Chargers coaching staff after that. So one, I'll tell you one of the things that I you know discovered doing some of like looking back at like Aiden Smith, etc., recruiting and some of just some of the stuff I was working on this past week. Ian Book was not a super high rated recruit uh, relative to some other guys, and if if some of the credit goes to him for developing Book, that's credit earned for sure. Um, now, would would Notre Dame let him let him go? Maybe. I mean, again, it, that one does make a lot of sense. Again, it's, uh, you know, I admit to being biased and colored because of the Tommy Rees era <laughs> on, on, on the field and off the field at uh, Notre Dame. But the but I mean, in, in all honesty, that one does make sense for a for a couple of different reasons and, and him having some experience with the program. He's going to get an interview. I guarantee you. Mm. Um, that's that's for sure. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I'll be honest. I don't. I don't love it. I don't love it. I don't. I don't know that he's bringing a lot of brand new ideas. Um, up and comer kind of kind of thing, and and that experience piece kind of worries me a little bit. So this this is a this is a real deep cup right right here. Um, Andrew Breener. So he's the quarterback coach at Mississippi State. Um. What's interesting about him is that he was the offensive coordinator under Joe Moorhead at Fordham before, uh, and when and when Moorhead left Fordham and went to go be OC at, at Penn State, Breener took over Fordham, did very, very well there the next couple seasons, and then followed Moorhead to Mississippi State thereafter. So 
John, you mentioned Bob Suris earlier, uh, or Suris earlier from the head coach at Princeton. Like the the parallel there of of a head coach at like that super low level going to be an OC at the FB, FBS level, much like Moorhead went from Fordham Fordham to to Penn State. Like I could buy that a little bit. I kind of like the idea of a brainer better. Um, somebody who's who's been in that Moorhead system. Um, and, and again, real talk, going to be the OC at Penn State is a little bit different than going to be the OC at Northwestern, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tr- truth, truth. Um, well, and, and then very quickly, right, he proved that his system worked and then he moved on. Um, now, now, that being said, like— Mississippi State hasn't really been, you know, exactly. the epitome yeah. of everything awesome. Their, their system is not going well. Now, now, does that mean that it's a good opportunity for them to be like, you know what, let's get out of here, let's go somewhere new and start fresh and try it again? I don't know, but um, I think I think what's more likely to happen is that Moorhead's going to get canned there and picked up somewhere else in the next year or two, and he's probably going to take Breener with him. Um, so that that one's that one's pretty, you know. Uh, so so here's here's my two big ones. Um, I know one of them is mine, but yes. Yep. So, so before we get to the to kind of our consensus top pick, um, Keith Heckendorf. So uh, Heckendorf is the offensive coordinator and QB's coach at Arkansas State. Um, great offensive mind, play caller. Uh, he was most notably the passing coordinator at North Carolina under Larry Fedora when they went to the um, ACC championship game and almost took down Clemson. Uh, I think they did well uh, in in their bowl game that year as well. But they they had Mitch Trubisky as a as a junior or senior, whatever QB, um, their system was a really solid balance between run and pass. They weren't true air raid. It was, it was, um, a system predicated a bit on QB mobility. Um, but it was a lot more aggressive than, than anything we've seen at Northwestern. The other things I like about Heckendorf, he's, he's a Wisconsin native. He went to college at Minnesota at a hockey school, St. Cloud state. And, uh, I like, that that seems like that's the sort of thing, like a, a guy who's seen as an up and coming coach, somebody who's creative, doing new stuff, who's had success at FBS level and has got regional ties um, to the area. I, I I really like that combination of factors. I do think that he, like, this guy's on the edge of what Fitz would would be interested in in bringing aboard and interested in tolerating. Um, like. Like all the Trubisky Chicago Bears, yeah. Stuff I'm just saying, like you said, Mitch, qu- you said Trubisky, and I think like the collective listeners in the city of Chicago just like their hearts just skipped a beat. Hey, hey, whatever, man. QBs have been going to the Chicago Bears to die for twenty years, so longer um, than that, my friend. Longer like, than that, like, whatever. But um, but I, I I like Heckendorf. I like I like the mix of stuff you get from Heckendorf. And then 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 number one, and, and, and actually um, we had a we had, we've had a couple listeners point this one out to us. And John, he's number one on your list as well. And that's Will Hall, the offensive coordinator at Tulane. This this is the guy. Yeah, I mean, I think you talked earlier, Scuzz, right about, and it's an important point. This guy has lived his life professional and otherwise below the Mason Dixon line. And <laughs> yeah, I think Memphis is the farthest, the farthest yeah, North he's ever yeah. been in his life. <laughs> make, make of that what you will. He's a Mississippi native, Mississippi college football, um, you know, has coached multiple places. Like you said, Memphis is aside from that, this guy checks every box. He's young, young, especially for the coaching. I won't say super young. He's one day older than me. Um, <laughs> I'll say I will say though in offensive coaching years in in OC years I would be relatively young uh, person years not so much but um, 
he's and he is a young innovator who's having a ton of success right now and is probably gettable. Um, he's dealing at Tulane right now. He has shown up there, and all of a sudden, their offense is just a machine. It is awesome. Um, and should we point out again, um, and as Scuzz made the great point, less from a perspective of Tulane's a good academic school, Northwestern's a good academic school, yay. It's like, it is harder to recruit at a school like Tulane. Again, their standards for student-athletes I don't think are quite as high as ours, but still... You're dealing with that impediment, and you're dealing with a lower conference, and he's still dealing at offense. The year before that, he was associate head coach at Memphis, um, and the year before that, he was OC of the Raging Cajuns, and all of those offenses are dealing. This guy's an up-and-comer, and he's a guy who's looking to go be an OC at a big program, and uh, and we could be that program. So th- these are all really interesting names and, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see how things progress. Um, you know, it, some, something's got to change. We've, we've talked about this, you know, in, in forever. Um, and, you know, I, I definitely looking forward to see kind of how this list develops, um, you know, and, and kind of where things go. I do want to come back, uh, to the on the field. Um, you know, we do need to at least, you know, mention the fact that Northwestern is playing <laughs> Purdue this weekend. Oh God. This is where we are right now, man. Yeah. Um, like real quick, Purdue is just in, in a rough space. I mean, they are just so injury bit. Um, you know, Jack Plummer out for the year. They're starting a, a walk on at quarterback now. I, I heard some rumbling that Rondell Moore could potentially be back on Saturday. Ooh, I don't. I. Ooh, interesting. Hold on, I'm gonna look. I mean, it's it's fascinating just that this that we are right now favored against a football team. <laughs> And I mean, there. I mean, <laughs> and, I mean, a I, team that just just beat Nebraska last week too. I mean, right? I mean, it's 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 crazy. And but I mean, it's these. I mean, Maryland would have something to say about it. But I mean, these are those are the three worst teams in the Big Ten. I mean, well, rec, I mean, competing for second worst other than Rutgers. But these are two teams that are totally. Totally offensively challenged in Purdue. But I will say, Purdue has proven through whatever they're doing that they have yet to have a quarterback come in and not have at least some offensive success. And the other thing that is absolutely true is we don't have anyone who can cover David Bell. Um, that is just a fact. And Spe- I don't especially mean... Especially with Newsom out for the year. That's, that's... I mean, it's just the horror show continues. I don't mean we didn't at the start of the year... Newsom, we'd be putting him on Bell. But right now, we've got Newsom and we've got Ruiz with whatever his injury situation is. It ain't great. Trey um, Williams should be back, but you know his first game back in in a long time, you know, return to action, and you're gonna have him, you know, guarding Bell. Right. I mean, it's you. You hope that they that you know that this walk on has difficulty getting them the ball, but um, but again. Purdue has had success on offense at various times this season. They've been obliterated by injuries. But scheme-wise, 
they are getting it done offensively and they are going to find ways to put the ball in Bell's hands um, or well, well, at least scheme him open. Well, well, and from that perspective, their scheme is a challenge for us, right? Like they're, they're a spread it out team. Um, they, they like to have some mobility at their quarterback position. Like Elijah Sindelar is not that, but they would prefer to have a guy who, who can run and, they're not going to try to run the ball much. Um, that's our forte as a defense, and they're you know they're they're going to get away from that. I think uh, I am seeing more is is listed as doubtful, which is um, which is not out, but yeah, uh, not not out. Um, and I'm I'm totally blanking on what uh, O'Connell is the Aiden, name of their Aiden opponent. O'Connell. We could be getting the Battle of the Aidens. Aiden O'Connell yeah. versus Aiden Smith. M- might I might I add that a giant goddamn red herring for Northwestern's offensive situation over the last decade. If you just think about any time a, a backup QB has had to come in and all the times you see that happen at another school and it seems to work for them, you know, gr- granted the Nebraska defense, we've spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about how maligned that group is. So um, I'm not suggesting that, that O'Connell is the next Peyton Manning, but, um, but my God, people, uh, a, a, a QB injury should not be the end of your season. Um, and, 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 and Purdue is effectively down to their number four because in addition to Sindelar and, and Jack Plummer, Nick Sipe, who is another, um, another guy on their death chart is also out for the year. Uh, so I don't know. I, I have no idea what to expect on Saturday. I just I think it's probably going to be pretty low scoring and yeah. T- I mean, I it, it it's probably going to be like that Nebraska game, right, where it ends like thirteen ten. Well, the over under is thirty nine and a half, and we are a, <laughs> and we are a two and a half point favorite. So, <laughs> oh, it, when when Vegas backs up the money truck, when, the Brinks truck to your house, don't you know? Don't don't keep yourself from grabbing the free money. Lord have mercy. Did you say 39 and a half? 39 and a half. Wow. A boy. I, I mean, I don't even know what to say. I, you know, so here's, here's, here's something to note. Um, that is one point higher than the Iowa, Wisconsin over under, which sits at 38 and a half. They expect Northwestern and Purdue to score more than Iowa and Wisconsin. I mean, Purdue's defense is horrible. I mean, <laughs> not, not great, Bob. Yeah, yeah they're. I mean, Our they're offense really is worse. bad. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, they're they will be the second worst defense, edging Nebraska again. Can't overstate. Nebraska sucks on defense, and they <laughs> did when we played them. But Purdue edges them. They're probably better than UNLV. Um, but, uh, but you know, frankly, we were a more confident offensive football team when we played UNLV. Um, for all that talk about quarterbacks earlier on. Hunter Johnson was a smoother running machine uh, at that point, um, physically and mentally, um, independent of, you know, the stuff he's had to deal with off the field um, than, than he is right now. Um, and a lot of that is not his fault. So, yeah, I this, this game is going to be two teams trying to figure out how to move the ball and first one to do so, you know, wins. But I don't know. I... This would be the time I will say, right? Um, this dam of turnovers could finally burst our defense. You know, you're talking about a fourth string quarterback here. This could finally be the time when, you know, whether it be like some fumbles off of sacks or some situation like that, we're able to, to get a couple turnovers and maybe that wins this one for us. But nothing is guaranteed here. 
so yeah, I mean, this game is going to be, uh, it's going to be what it is, but let's, let's remember something here. We get seven Northwestern home games a year. I, the three of us, we talk the entire year how much we enjoy football season. Yeah, this season has been shitty at best. Um, but still, there is reason to come out and have fun. You know, we're going to be tailgating. Um, you know, the tailgate starts at 7 a.m. It's an 11 o'clock kick, so we're, we're going to start at 7 a.m. We're going to fire up the grill. We're going to have some breakfast. Uh, we're going to have some drinks. We're going to have some food. And then we're going to go in and we're going to hang out with each other. And we're going to enjoy the game. We're going to shoot the breeze and we're going to, we're going to watch and we're going to watch this team that we love and we're going to hope that they, they show us something. That's that's really well said, Sammy. And I I wish I could be there for it as well. Um, I'm not gonna be able to make the trip up this weekend. I think I just part of the reason I wanted to talk about this is that there's a lot of people, fr- frankly, very rationally questioning like why should I go to the game? I I can tailgate and then I can leave. Like what? Like why would I bother? You know, my tickets. I'm, I should treat them as a sunk cost. Maybe I should sell them to opposing fans. And I don't do that. The, don't do that. Well, yeah. So, so two, two perspectives on one uh, on that, like, like a, if, 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 if I don't blame anyone who's like, you know what? I've had it. I can't take it anymore. I'm not going to go sit in, in the stadium. Now, granted, it's going to be, you know, not freezing cold and, um, partially sunny and probably no rain on Saturday. So like de- decent weather, you know, maybe for whatever, for what that's worth. But like I, I blame nobody who's like I just I can't I can't bring myself to do it. I, I you know, to Sam's point, there's plenty to be fun to be had at a game. We you know, even during the Ohio State game, we had a blast just chatting up with our with our buddies, with our friends. Like like the f- football is ultimately about gathering people together and community and just, you know, having fun, getting out there supporting supporting the guys on the team, right? And that's my second point. Like don't sell as as tempting as it is, don't sell your tickets to an opposing fan that like you yes that may feel like a symbolic protest um against the failure of this of this team to, to of, of the coaching staff to have made changes et cetera et cetera but really all you're doing is hurting your fellow northwestern um fans who d- don't want to be sitting next to uh you know Joe Blow from the opposing team and you're really just hurting the players right like that's that's the the, the guys on the team um didn't ask for this situation and they're not, you know, they're not mailing this in or anything like that. So like being out there to support them, like th- th- don't blame and punish those guys by um, selling to opposing fans. Uh, I-, I think that's, that's a-, a good rationale to be there and attend the game as well. Um, but like, I don't know. I- I'll have this game on, on Saturday. I I'll probably watch it pretty intently. Cause it's, I just, it's my sickness. It's, it's, it's my, my mental deficiency. Um, but like divorce yourself from, from, from it. If you need to like, like who, like who cares at this stage, it's a lost season. Um, enjoy the spectacle, enjoy the band, enjoy the camaraderie of the people around you. And yeah, that's, I, I'll get off my soapbox. I just, there, there's, there's still value to be had here in Northwestern football from a fan perspective. Um, but that being said, I blame no one who decides like F it. I can't, I can't do it. I'm not going. I will say if you're looking for a reason to go, right, come find us. Sammy and I will be there. We got the tailgate South golf lot. Um, it's, you know, I'm, it's not going to be the Ohio state game. 
And it's like it's not like Purdue travels and they're not having that great of a season right now. So I mean, it's like you'll be able to find us. Come find us. Come S- chat about all this stuff. Section one twenty eight. Good seats probably available. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And come find us in one twenty eight. We'll be there. Um, talk to us during the game. You know, come chat us up. Like we want to talk to you guys. We know if you guys want to vent, like that's we're there. We want to hear. You know, we want to talk about this stuff with you guys. So you know, come find us. And if you're looking for a reason to go and you haven't come and found us yet, um, this would be one of the times to say like, hey, you know what? It's it's going to be easy to get to these guys. So why don't I go? You know, swing by and you know. We'll we'll feed you and uh, give you something to drink, and then we can chat. Opportunity to talk about basketball, uh, pithy T-shirt ideas for later this year or next year, um, sous-vide tips. Like, yeah, that's right, exactly. So yeah, I mean, we we'd love to see you come by, say hi, um, real quick, because I, I know we're running long. I do want to run through the rest of the Big Ten and uh, some of the other big games. There's a there's a lot of really good games this weekend. Um, you know, you've got Penn State, Minnesota also at 11 o'clock. Uh, Penn State sitting at, in the playoff right now at number four. Obviously, that's not going to stay because Penn State and Ohio State have yet to play each other. But, um, I, I think th- this game against Minnesota is going to kind of go a long way to, to showing the world that Minnesota is a paper tiger. I'm so uh, enraged that when you said, when you said Penn State is sitting in the playoff, I heard Minnesota is sitting in the playoffs. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Certainly not. Hey, I mean, I'll say Minnesota's put themselves in a position to have one of the biggest games in program history. I think they're going to get flattened, but they've put themselves in this position. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Ohio State at number one in the playoff right now. So, you know, that that came out yesterday. Um, They're at home against Maryland. Uh, I I guess... the one question I have for that game, 43 and a half is the spread. Ohio State by 43 and a half. Does Ryan Day take his foot off the gas enough that that spread could be, you know, you, you might want to take the points? So watching uh, the Northwestern game, watching the Cincinnati game, watching the Indiana game, um, there's maybe one or two others that I can't think of off the top of my head right now, but Ohio State has generally uh, the, the Nebraska game is another one. Ohio State has generally like had the pedal to the metal in the first half, and the second half they dial it back. And what you're basically betting on is how many times is the other team going to turn it over to Ohio State inside their own you know twenty or thirty yard line and give Ohio State the opportunity to 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 shoot that score up. I think I, I think they did not cover. Against Nebraska, um, I think they did not cover against. Um, I know they did not cover against uh, Cincinnati. I believe. Um, oh, that's not true. They covered against Cincinnati. Uh, but but anyway, like like th- th- those numbers were a lot smaller than forty three. Is my point. <laughs> um, and I think like at half it might be forty to nothing, but they might score nothing more than a field goal in the second half, unless Maryland gives them a bunch of uh, of gimme opportunities. At 2.30, you've got Illinois at Michigan State. We just found out Daryl Stewart is out for Michigan State now. And their, so. and their center, too, right? I, I mean, my God. I charmed, still, charmed life in uh, Champagne. It is, boy. I mean, they things can't get any better for them. I mean, I still they're still heavy underdogs in this game, and they should be because they like this Michigan State defense is still the Michigan State defense. Um, 
But although actually, aren't they down Joe Bacci now? Yeah, Joe Bacci. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lord, Lord have mercy. I, I mean, it all stars are aligned. But I mean, Michigan State is still the much better team here. Illinois is just doing this on ridiculous amounts of luck. But Illinois is five and four, and uh, there's still you know if Vegas has any say about it in line to bowl. Um, thanks to a future win over us, you know, that it, at least as Vegas would see it. So, uh, I don't know. But, yeah, that, good Lord. Just get smoked, Illinois. Come on, Michigan State. <laughs> and then uh, also 3 o'clock Central on Fox, you got Iowa-Wisconsin. I don't know. I mean, again, I to me, Wisconsin got kind of pulled back down to earth. And these two teams, to me, are just so similar in a lot of ways. And I... I don't know. I Wisconsin nine and a half point favorite. That seems a lot to me. I just feel like this is going to be a close game. I can't really tell you which way it's going to go. Um, I think the winner of this game is the best team in the West and will represent the West. But um, but we'll see. I I I, I never had any illusions that um, Wisconsin was going to beat Ohio State, um, but I continue to think that they're the second best team uh in the conference um and i think they're gonna smoke iowa uh so looking around the the rest of the country um huge matchup uh you know one might say it's the game of the year stanford at colorado no i'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) lsu bama i mean that that's that's just so i mean we've been talking this up the, the hype for this game is, is through the roof. Game day is going to be there, even though the game's on CBS. Um, what do you think? Is... So the last, I mean, the last time that this was this hyped, right, was, was Game of the Century in, um, was that 2000? The defensive slugs. Was it the, right? the, Nine, the 96 or? 10,000, yeah, it was, the, it was the 96, like, it was, it was, it was a great game, um, is kind of a boring game and this game is going to be extremely different. Yeah. I I mean I I'm shocked. I mean Bama's six and a half point favorites. That seems amazing to me. Um I know this will be the biggest test, but I mean Joe Burrow was great against Florida and that was an awesome game. And Florida I mean, Florida's defense is up there with Alabama's defense, especially this Alabama defense, which kind of had to find its way earlier in the season. I mean, it's stacked with five-star talent. But Well, and then Tua's coming back from this ankle thing. And right. all of last year, you saw how how the the ankle and him being hobbled just, just impacted his game. Right. Um, I, I mean, like... Burrow, I mean, Burrow can win himself the Heisman in this game. I mean, he's having that kind of season. Um, the, I, I mean, I, I give the edge to LSU here, even on the road. I mean, I think this is, I think it's going to be an awesome game. Um, but I think if LSU's ever, if ever they can climb this Alabama mountain, it's this year. I think, um, but I think this is going to be an awesome game. Like I, like this is appointment viewing. Um, which I'll try to watch at least the second half on the way back from our game. Anything else uh, you guys are looking at this weekend? Uh, no, I can't say that I am. Um... Too 
Tulane off this week. I only mention this because given our previous conversations, I'm going to be watching Tulane football very closely. Oh, from here oh on hell out. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, Wake, but, yeah, Wake Forest is uh, playing Virginia Tech. Um, it's on ACC yep. Network, so no one will actually be able to see it. But uh, yep, keep an eye out for the highlights. Yep. Um, yeah, and aside from that, yeah, no, we'll be focused on the same big ones that everybody else is. All right. Well, um, let's let's wrap it up there. Um, you know, obviously, we'll be back uh, next week to to talk about this a little bit more. And um, you know, next week with basketball, you know, really getting going, I, I think it it'll be high time for us to talk a little hoops, uh, both men's and women's. So uh, we'll come back next week with a little basketball chatter. Um, but for now, uh, let's go ahead and leave it there for this week. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, find us on Instagram, at Pirates, And you can always email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the south golf lot of Ryan Field, flying the red pirate flag, because we give it a quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skazba, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank <laughs> you.